0: Let's pray, and we're going to get right into uh, the message today. Lord, we just again thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're real. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that, Lord, you have a plan. Lord, not just for each person individually, but you have a plan for the church. Lord, you called us from the very foundations of the earth, Lord, as you established the church and you established the kingdom on the earth, and we are the church of the Lord Jesus until we are uh, taken home to be with you forever in all eternity, God. We, we want to be who you have called us to be. We want to accomplish that which you've called us to accomplish on this earth. And Lord, let it be said of this church that the kingdom of God is among you. God, we pray for unity. I pray for unity like never before, and God, we just lift up today, we ask God that you would be seen, that Jesus would be exalted, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the Word of God to us, and Lord, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, today I want to, as I said earlier, if you're looking for a title, it's called Unity, we're, we're, We Are In This Together. I'm gonna, um, in a few minutes, I'm gonna have a, 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 quite a few scriptures that I'm going to give out to you and we're gonna kind of rapidly go through those. I do have a key text that I will be zeroing in on, um, but you have, uh, if you the bulletin you receive has a place for sermon notes. I encourage you to write these out and just as you study the word of God, um, what the Lord is saying about this issue of unity and why it is of the utmost importance in our day. We live in a day and age uh, again, and you've heard me say this, where things on the earth are, are not getting any better. And uh, so the response of the church needs to be, like never before, unity in Christ. Coming together, being of one mind and one purpose. For you guys in the room, there's a scene from the movie Gladiator. Everybody just went, whoa, oh, you know, they remember seeing that movie. Um, Gladiator's the guy flick for you ladies Sorry, this probably won't hit you as well, much as it'll hit the guys, but the guys will be right with me. But in that, in that movie, um, it's a movie about courage and honor, but there's a group of these men that are forced to be gladiators. And there's one scene where they are going to bring in these warriors on horse and carriage, and, and, and to basically kill the gladiators. They are recreating a, a, a battle from old, and they're going to try to kill these gladiators, and the point is that these gladiators are expendable, and uh, we're going to show this scene to the crowd, and all these guys are going to get killed. Well, you know, as the story goes, this, this group, this, this banding with uh, courage and honor, they come together with this leader and uh, they actually defeat the army that comes in, so it kind of ruins the story and ruins the point of, uh, of, of the whole scene. But there's something that the leader, leader Maximus, says in that moment where they band together, they come together, and they know what's coming, and they know that something's getting ready to come through, and he unifies those guys together, and he says this, whatever comes out of those gates, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. If we stay together, we survive. I thought that was a profound statement as we talk about this issue, this topic of unity in the church. Jesus said this He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever's coming through those gates, we have a way better chance of survival if we are sticking together, folks. Why is unity so important? We hear this talked about a lot. We hear the topic of unity. People, there's, You could go out on the internet and probably hear 2,000 messages that are better than the one you'll hear today on unity. And so there's a lot of talk about that out there. Why is it so important, though, as we look at Scripture, why is it so important that it's on the heart of God to, to, to preach this to us through Old Testament encounters and, and, and New Testament stories and, and, and commands to stick together in unity? Why is it so important? What are the implications of unity or not having unity? I love this thought from Rick Warren on unity. Listen to this. It is your job to protect the unity of your church. Unity in the church is so important that the New Testament gives more attention to it than to either heaven or hell. God deeply desires that we experience oneness and harmony with each other. Unity is the soul of fellowship destroy it, and you rip the heart out of Christ's body. It is the essence, the core of how God intends for us to experience life together in his church. Our supreme model for unity is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are completely unified as one. God himself is the highest example of sacrificial love, humble, other-centeredness, and perfect harmony. Just like every parent, our Heavenly Father enjoys watching his children get along with each other in his final moments before being arrested, Jesus prayed passionately for our unity. It was our unity that was the uppermost in his mind during those agonizing hours. That shows how significant that this subject is. Nothing on earth is more valuable to God than his church. He paid the highest price for it and he wants it protected, especially from the devastating damage that is caused by division, conflict, and disharmony. If you are a part of God's family, It's your responsibility to protect the unity where you fellowship. You are commissioned by Jesus Christ to do everything possible to preserve the unity, protect the fellowship, and promote harmony in your church family and among all believers. The Bible says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Isn't that good? In 1996, there was a Promise Keepers event. A lot of you remember that move that was going on. It was quite... Huge in the 90s, groups of men coming together in stadiums to cry out for God, to say that we want to, you know, wave as a banner, integrity and love for our home and, and, and love for the Word of God. Well, in 96, there was a promise keepers for church leaders. I didn't get to go with the, to, go to this, this, uh, this particular one, but uh, our pastor in Florida showed us a clip of one of the messages that was preached at that gathering, and there were about forty-five thousand church leaders from all over the country gathered in this stadium. Different backgrounds, different denominations—I mean, you name it—it was—it was represented. And Max Lucado got up and he and he spoke a message on unity in the body of Christ. And he gave an illustration that was very neat that I won't get into, but at the end of this, he said, I want to show you by an example of what the world sees and then what we need to be to the world. He says, on the count of three, I want you to yell out your denominational affiliation. And if you're non-denominational, yell that out. If you're, you know, Baptist, American Baptist, you know, Southern Baptist, you know, whatever you are, yell it out. And so one, two, three, and, you know, it literally sounded just confused and, uh, you know, just there was, you couldn't discern who was saying what. And he did it again and again. And he said, for far too long, this is what the world has heard from the church. Because a lot of times we major on and, uh, what we don't agree about and we devour each other. And so we have been a voice of confusion, a voice of things that don't make any sense. And he said, now on the count of three, I want you to yell out who the master and the savior is, the one who we worship. On three, one, two, three, and the place rocked Jesus, Jesus. And it began to be a spontaneous Shout out for Jesus, Jesus. And I mean, these guys were worshiping God, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he just announced, he said, this is what the world needs to hear. With one mind and one mouth, we will glorify our Father in heaven. What unity, what is unity and what unity is not? Unity is not total agreement on everything. Everybody can take a sigh of relief there. It is not agreement on everything. If that was unity, that would be very, very difficult. Unity is this, true unity is seen when we don't agree, yet we love and we honor each other anyway. And we choose honor instead of devouring a person. Unity is not also, on the other extreme, unity is not universalism where we have this movement where you know all roads lead to heaven kind of kumbaya kind of thing that's not what unity is either universalism unity is about the believers in Jesus Christ authentic believers in Jesus Christ what the scripture talks about being a Christ follower those people coming together uncompromised in their beliefs loving each other but for far too long we have fought About what we don't agree about instead of coming together on what we do. The opposite of unity obviously is division, division. It means, and I've said this before, two visions or split vision. Division. It means there was once vision, now it's messed up. There's two, three, it's split apart. No organization, whether it be a a church, a business, or even when you talk about marriage and family, they don't work when you have division, when you have many visions, you have split vision. It cannot survive. This group says this, this group says that. And it goes against God's intentions of how he created the church. Again, it's not about agreeing on everything. But it's about saying, maybe I don't agree with you, but I'm gonna love you and honor you anyway. And in fact, what that does is, it actually promotes greater unity. That is when the world sees, looks on and says, I can't believe those people. They don't, they don't even agree on a lot of things, yet they are loving each other. Because when the world comes in and hears chaos and confusion and backbiting and division, They go, why in the world would we ever come in here? We can do that at home. The old song, they will know that we are Christians by our love. And Doug had that word about the the bow and the glue being the love that, that binds us together. There are a lot of warnings about division in the Word of God. We got to take note of why that is. There's also a lot of emphasis on unity. We need to take note of why that is. Why is it so important to the heart of God? Rick Warren pointed out that it's very interesting that in the New Testament, there's more attention given to unity than on heaven and hell. I think it's important to the heart of God. God feels like it's important, but so does the enemy. You know, the enemy's job is to divide and conquer us. That is why he tries to put in wedges and put division in the church and put these uh, what, what Paul called schisms. And Paul said that to the Corinthian church, let there be no division among you. You need each other. You need to come together. Don't let the enemy come in and divide you and take you out. And as the church, we have to stand on this, that division is not an option. And I'm here today to call us together as a church to be unified in one purpose and one mind to glorify Jesus Christ. Division is not an option. Unity isn't just a good idea or a great suggestion from the word. You know, if you guys, you know, if you really like each other, it might be a good idea if you guys would come together and be nice. Unity is not a good idea or a good suggestion. It is a command from scripture. It is essential. We see it in the world. We see it with sports teams or an army. Success being directly related to their unity. Division means they get destroyed, they, they, get, they get beaten down. That's why you can take a great sports team that has several superstars on their team, and everybody thinks, well, they have all these superstars, <clears throat> Miami Heat. For you guys that didn't get that, Miami Heat, you know, they got all these great players, and they didn't win the championship. And just because you have some spectacular players does not mean that you're going to have a great team. But an army, a sports team, uh, you know, sports is a, a way less important matter. But you think about an army, you think about our troops that are overseas and they're doing these, uh, these missions and they, are, they come together and there's a game plan that's given and they say, you know, we, we have to stay together in this. Everybody's going to have a job, everybody's going to have a part and we have to stick together. Division means Defeat. I said this earlier, but unity in other areas like our families, our marriages, are, are, is essential to survival. You see it in the Word of God where Nehemiah, you know, he calls the people together and they have this mission, and I shared uh, about this, uh, you know, a while back, but they have this mission to rebuild the wall. And you know, they, can, they got their eyes on the mission, and the mission's important, but to get the mission done they had to have unity and that is what he preached heavily to those people he said we have to stay together we need to fight for each other I mean he even says that fight for your your wives your brothers your 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 sons your daughters fight for each other because the enemy is bent on attacking the purposes of God And if we have a purpose, which we do under heaven, the enemy is going to attack us. He's going to come at us. And so we have to fight for the vision and mission. We have to fight for each other too. It's not an option. And they were coming under attack, and that's when he said, don't stop working. Have a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. So we're going to keep building the wall, and I'm going to have a sword over here just in case the enemy gets too close. And they were fighting for each other. They were working together, fighting for each other. You see it in the, in, in, in the story of the wall of Jericho, which we all grew up with that story. But you know what? The, one of the central themes around that story is, yes, God smashed the wall and it was great victory, but it was the unity of the people and the obedience to God that caused God's hand to be seen in the midst of that. I've given Joshua, the commander, a word from God, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to march around. And you know they were ready to fight. And this is one of those where he says, all right, get all your people together, and you're not going to lift a hand to fight. I'm going to fight for you. But you're going to have to be obedient. In fact, I'm going to call you to do something that's not going to make a whole lot of human sense. You're going to march around in silence together as one nation marching around And they did that, and they went back to camp, you know, day one, day two, boom. Day seven, they go around seven times. You know, by this time, Jericho, the people of Jericho probably said they've lost their minds. They're trying to probably figure out how to get into this wall, but they're not gonna get in because we've built this fortress that can't be touched. And God says, no, my people are being unified. They are marching together. And then God squashed the wall Unity. Unity. My main text is Ephesians 4. If you want to turn there, go ahead and do that. I'm going to spend just a few minutes in Ephesians 4, and then I'm going to give you a few scriptures to meditate on, to uh, grab hold of, to pray out as you pray for the church. By the way, thank you guys for this past week. Some of you, we did the 40 hours of prayer this week. Um, I know it doesn't work out for everybody. People work jobs and stuff, and, and that's okay. But uh, those who took a time slot and prayed for the church this week, um, we just you know, had these hour blocks. Thank you for praying for the church. Um, that's a part of unifying our hearts together and praying and, and seeking the Lord on behalf of the church. So I really appreciate that. Ephesians 4. Uh, most of your, if, if you have one of those Bibles that has headings above that, it says unity in the body or unity in the church, something like that. Listen to what Paul, and I want you to hear the heartbeat, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And you're going to see this as a huge theme of Paul's writings. But Ephesians 4 uh, verse 1, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle. Listen to what he's saying to the church. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there's one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called together in one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, He has given each one of us a special gift or a grace through the generosity of Christ. That is why the Scriptures say when He ascended to the heights, He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to His people. Notice that it says He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full, As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's one of those passages. I encourage you to pray those things over the church. What is Paul trying to say? In verse 20, he's he's saying, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling because you've been called of God. He's imploring this church to walk worthy of their calling. He said, you're called, you have a purpose. Don't forget that. Don't forget that God's hand is on you, that he has equipped you, that he has given you his life as a believer and he's called you according to his purposes. Don't lose that. Then he deals with the area of unity. Verses two through six, he says, be patient with each other. Why does he have to say that? Because you know there's a tendency not to be patient with each other. You know that, and and, and I've said this before, but you know, one of the worst prayers that you can ever pray is, God, give me patience. See what happens after that one. You know, usually it's you know, it's the most annoying things in your life happen. He's like, Yes, I'm helping you. You prayed for it, I'm giving it. Be patient with each other. Listen to what he says. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Who's got faults? Get your hands up, people. (laughs) We all have faults. We're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. I mean, Paul himself, writing some of these letters, revealed his own weaknesses as their leader, saying, you know what, I, I... I sometimes do the things I don't want to do. You know, I, at one time I thought I might be the chief of apostles. Now I'm, I'm, I'm understanding. Now I'm the chief of sinners. I struggle. Confessions of a pastor, I struggle. I have faults. And he says this, because he says you guys need to understand something. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. It's because of your self-sacrificial love is what he's talking about, agape love, love for God and love for each other. It's so easy to get caught up in those moments where somebody bugs you or or, or you have a fault with something or you don't agree with something is to bail out. Say, well, forget it, I'm bailing out. What would happen to an army that did that? I don't agree with what you're doing, so I'm bailing out. It would be destructive. And he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Then, verse 7, he says, He's given us gifts or you know, these, these grace gifts to each person in the body of Christ. You have gifts of the Spirit. God has poured out His gifts upon us as members of His body, and we have need of everyone in the body. That's why we are called the body of Christ. We do do not have parts of our body that are optional. I can do without that. We We can't do without you. And why does He give us these gifts? It's to accomplish His mission together the mission of building his kingdom, the mission of building up the church until he returns. There's people that, and Romans 12 talks about the gifts in more detail, but there's people that have hospitality gifts, giving, caring, teaching, comforting, administration, leadership, praying, loving. 1 Corinthians 12, he deals with the more spiritual side, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing. Gifts of faith. We need everyone working together. Then he deals with leadership. He said these are given as gifts to the church. What is the purpose of leadership? It is to equip the saints until he returns, until we reach that place of full maturity in Christ. My job is to equip you. That's why we go to the Word of God so much is because you can... Pretty much be safe with this. If you apply this to your life, you're being equipped every day. And through that equipping of the leadership, that's your job as the, as, as the followers, is to make allowance for the leadership's faults. When we fall short, when we make mistakes, is to keep our eyes on Jesus and love each other. And then verses 15 through 16, the ultimate purpose of unity. I love this. He said, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We are growing more and more like Christ, or that should be our goal, is to become more and more like Jesus every day. To become more and more like Jesus. That's why, whether you've been a Christian for a very short period of time, or you've been a Christian for a very long, long time, is that, that I want to grow and become more and more like Jesus every day. Because he is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is God's purpose for the church is that we would be healthy, full of love for each other, for God, to grow the kingdom so that lost people can come to know Christ and that we wait for his return. the implications of unity. Why is it so important? Why should it be important to us? And again, I'm going to go through some passages here. Um, I'm going to do this very quickly. I'm not going to spend a ton of time in these. I encourage you to write them down. If you're, if you're a person that likes to process and, and read through these things, I encourage you to do that. Take these passages and pray them over yourself, over the church, over what God would have you as a part of His church. And so we'll go quickly here, but I, wanna, I think it's important to see as we talk about unity, is it important to God? Should it be important to us? And how we go from this day um, forward in, in what God is speaking to us in the area of unity. First passages from John chapter 17. This is Jesus' prayer. And uh, Rick Warren in the book, he, he mentions it. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he's praying for us. This is one of those moments in time we actually get to see Jesus praying for us. We can personalize that prayer. This is right before he is going to the cross. And we cannot miss, folks, we cannot miss at all if this is important during the agony of Jesus right before he is going to the cross. If unity of the saints and the unity of believers is important to him, we better take note of why he is groaning to the Father about our unity. And he says this, and he prays a lot, but he says this, Father, I pray that they might be one as you and I are one, listen to this, so that the world will know that you sent me. Because he was getting ready to go through the horrific tragedy of the cross, But yet he was not going to stay dead. He rose from the the grave. And he went and he's ascended to the Father and he is now making intercession for us and he sent the Holy Spirit down so that we would be carriers of the very presence of God. And Jesus agonizing before the cross saying, Father, I pray that they would be one because this issue is too important. Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one so that the world will know that you sent me. When we hear that passage again, we cannot miss why it was so important to Jesus. Unity is associated with the spread of the gospel. Our unity is also for the world's sake. That's what Jesus prayed. Lord, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one so that the world will know. I want the world to know that you sent me. And a part of them knowing is the church loving each other. If we want to see the spread of the gospel, we need unity. Psalm 133.1, 1, very famous passage of unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity or harmony. And the psalmist writes, he said, it's like the, the anointing oil poured over Aaron's head. Aaron was the high priest. And it was the anointing oil that was poured over his head, and it ran, it ran into his beard and on his clothing. And we associate what is the anointing oil um, in the New Testament. We, we understand that it's about the anointing. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And if we want more Holy Spirit, if we want more anointing that we, want, we so desperately pray for, well, we need the anointing. Well, if we want anointing, we need unity. The greatest way not to have the anointing is to have division. And so the psalmist says, if you want anointing, if you want the anointing oil, you need unity. Acts 2, the birthplace of the church. We love this passage, especially as spirit-filled people. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, does it say, then the Holy Spirit poured out his power? No, here's what it says. On the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord was not the car. <laughs> I like that. So if about cards in the Bible, they were all in one accord. Um, that's a cheesy, corny preacher joke if I ever heard one. The word accord there means unity, togetherness bonded is what it means. It's implying bondedness. And so Jesus told them, he said, I want you to go to the upper room and you're going to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And so they came into that place and they waited. They even had a little business meeting, chose a new disciple. They weren't sure what was going to happen. Jesus made a promise, but we were in one accord. They were bonded together. Then the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Do we want more power of the Holy Spirit? Do we need more power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. If we want more power, we need unity. We need to be bonded together in unity. Then at the end of Acts, where the church was growing, But listen to how it grew. Acts 2.46, so continuing daily with one accord. There's that word again. Bonded together. In one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound like a great church growth plan right there? Salvation and church growth. Do we want that? We should want it then we need unity. It's it's tied together. Do you see the importance of unity? Why it's so important on the heart of God, on the heart of Jesus? Salvation and growth, we need unity. We need to be bonded together. Then Romans 12, and I said this earlier, and I'm just going to read through it, in uh, verses 4 through 16. Listen to what Paul's saying to this church. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're tied together. Having then gifts differing according to the face that is given to us, let us use them. If If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Did you hear that? Let love be without hypocrisy. Come together. Don't say one thing and and then turn around and say another thing or live one way and then do a different thing. It can happen in the church. Where we say one thing to someone here and then we backbite them here. It's wrong and it needs to stop in the church. And he's calling these people out and he's calling us out and I want to guard my heart on it. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Listen, kind, affectionate, brotherly love, honor, preference. We need a good dose of that. We need to be baptized into this, plunged into it. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Do you hear what he's saying? He is calling out this church saying, you want health. You want effectiveness. You want to be the church of the Lord Jesus. You want to do great exploitations for God. Love each other. Honor each other. Care for each other. Pray together. Do it. Do it. All the time, fervently do it. If we want health and effectiveness in the church, we need unity. Romans 14, 19, Paul says this, let us aim for unity or harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Building each other up. That's a word of strength. Do we want strength in the church? We need unity. Romans 15, 5 through 6. Now may God, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I read that earlier. If we want to bring the utmost glory and honor to Jesus, we need unity. We will honor God by how we love each other. 1 Corinthians 1.10. It's a different church. Same theme. Now I plead with you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things and that, are, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If we want to have the mind of Christ, we need unity. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 14. Finally, brethren, farewell. He's ending his letter to these people. He says, and here's, here's, here's kind of, it's kind of like this. You know, when you write a letter to someone or an email nowadays or a text, kids are going, what's a letter? It's where you take this pen. This ink comes out of it. You know, I mean, <laughs> explaining that to our kids. It'll be interesting. But you know, you're you're conveying a thought, you're conveying different things in the letter, and then your final thoughts are, here's what I want to leave with you. Here's what I want you to remember most. And this is how Paul ends his letter to to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Finally, brethren, farewell. He's saying goodbye to them. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen. And he's talking about completeness, comfort, peace. If we want completeness, if we want comfort, if we want peace, we need unity. First Peter, different apostle. 1 Peter 3, 8-12. Finally, all of you be of one mind having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Those are good words to us. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see it good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Hold your tongue, Peter is saying. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If we want to inherit blessings, we need unity. And when he says this, the face of the Lord against those who do evil, he's talking to believers here. And he just got through saying, guard your tongues. Be careful what you speak. But if we want to inherit his blessings, if we want the fullness of what he has for us, we need unity. And then the warnings of disunity. Proverbs chapter 6. This is one of the most fear of God passages in Scripture. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 We know these to be the the seven deadly sins. If you've ever heard that term before, this is where we get them. What does God say about this? Listen to this. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. If you're wondering, detest is not good. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord among his brethren, or in the New Living Translation it says, in his family. A person who sows discord. Discord is associated with words like this, strife, division, war, discontentment. Division and discord are very, very dangerous to any kind of unit a sports team, an army, a family, the church. Folks, this is why the enemy comes at us because he does know what we are capable of when we are unified. Guess who is very, very aware of Acts chapter 2? The devil. They were all in one mind and one accord. And the devil has been fighting the church from the very birthplace of the church to say, if they walk in unity, there is no limit to what they can accomplish. We have to keep them divided. We have to have discord. We have to have strife. Because if we can keep that in there, they will be ineffective all their days. He understands scripture where it says, if one of us can send a thousand to flight, two of us 10,000, what could a group do in the name of Christ? Discord is also a musical word. It's defined as this a confused or mingling of sounds that have no clarity. A confused or mingling of sounds, discord. That's like trying to have a symphony. And no one is playing any kind of note together. Nobody's reading any notes together. They are just playing whatever they want to play. And again, if you stopped and let one of them play, it would probably make sense. But in this whole mix, it does, there's no clarity and it sounds confusing and it just sounds like noise. Because the opposite of discord is harmony. And unity and harmony are one and the same. What does God desire for the church? He desires that we be a symphony. Each playing notes and not focusing on just our notes, but living in a greater reality of the unity and the bond of peace and the love for each other and concern for each other, making a symphony unto God, revealing His love, His truth, His mercy, and His grace. And most importantly, revealing Christ Jesus Himself because that is the job of the church. We can't just play whatever notes we want. But to be a part of a beautiful sound of unity before God. So is unity important? Absolutely, it's essential. It has eternal implications. It has earthly implications, but it does have eternal implications. My question to you today is, how is God speaking to you in this area? When you hear these passages, are you applying them to your heart? Is he speaking to you in in your family situations? Is he speaking to you about a work situation where there's been division? Is he speaking to you about your marriage? Your children? Is he speaking to you about your place in the church? Because I encourage you, take these passages, pray them over yourself, pray them over the church. We need God's unity. And the unity in Christ. I love the story of John Wesley and George Whitefield. Some of you have heard this story, but it bears repeating. Two great reformers. And these two guys had sharp disagreements about doctrinal things, theology. They are things that they would argue back and forth. I mean, uh, sharp disagreements. I mean, big ticket items in, 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 in Christianity. And so they got to the later part of their life. George Whitfield passed away. And one of John Wesley's followers, this, this man that he was discipling and raising up, and they were sitting there, and, 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 and Wesley was kind of meditating, contemplating on George Whitfield now being gone. And, and this guy says to him, do you think you're going to see George Whitfield in heaven? In other words, did all those disagreements do you I mean, do you think he was even saved? Cuz you guys had such sharp contrast. And Wesley with tears in his eyes looked at the man and said, "No, I don't think I'm going to see George Whitfield in heaven because I think he's going to be so close to the throne of God that I probably won't be as close as he will." Folks, to me, that speaks of unity. These two guys that had disagreements, but they did not let their disagreements destroy the oneness that they had in Christ. They had a deep love and a deep respect and a deep commitment to each other as brothers in the body of Christ. So, what is this key to unity as we close? I believe it is this is that we look at each other through the lens of the cross of Christ. The central theme as people that belong to Jesus as Christ followers is the cross of Christ. It was there that he paid the ultimate price for us. It was there where theology and argument are are cast aside. It's hard to argue at the cross when you look at his suffering and you look at his sacrifice. Because the cross should bring us to a place where it brings us to our knees and it brings us to a place of humility and say, Jesus, without you, I am a wretched mess. We need his cross. We need the payment that he paid for us. And as we begin to look at people through the lens of the cross, it will begin to change our heart and begin to soften our heart towards each other. And to have a love and a care and a concern and an honor for each other. And my greatest heart, folks, is that we look at each other. We love each other. We look at each other through the lens of Jesus and the cross and the price that He paid and that we love each other until He returns. And we build the church and we build the kingdom of God until he comes. Let's stand together. I'd like to do this. We've done this some times past, but I'd like for everyone to just join hands across. Everybody, link hands, join hands. A couple weeks ago, Jim reminded me something that Mike Bickle said about getting along in unity and loving each other. He said, you know, in heaven we're going to be best friends, so we might as well go ahead and do it now. (laughs) That's my heart for us as a church. And as we've linked hands together, and just as as a symbolic move toward Christ of saying we are in this together, let's pray and let us Seal this time in the Lord, and let's move on from here being unified. Yeah, I'm coming. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, over and over, Paul says that as a Christ, he is the head of the church. Lord, it is about you. You're the great pastor. It is all about you. You're the head of the church, and we are just even honored to be standing here today. And Lord, I pray, God, as the church, that you would forgive us for division, for disunity, for discord, for strife. Lord, we all confess, Lord God, we we have an opinion. I know I do. And, And Lord, sometimes we can elevate that opinion above what you are saying. And I pray, God, that we would be bonded together in peace, in love, in joy, in honor toward one another. I pray that we would reveal you in everything that we say and we do and that, Lord, with one mind and with one heart, we would glorify God. We would glorify Jesus that the world may know that, Father, you sent Jesus to the earth. Let our love be a reflection of that. God, I pray a blessing on your people today. Unite our hearts in the name of Jesus, we pray.